On this week's show, we're going to continue our conversation about core strategies, and this week, we're going to be talking about your brand promise. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Now, before we get started with today's content, I want to throw out a special offer to all of you non-EGIA members. Click the Join button at the top right, then select the Plus Membership. We'll give you access to the full courses so you can start to take your business to the next level. Your brand identifies the character of your company, and we got to communicate that to everybody in your market, right? They got to know who you are. The brand promise is one of the core strategies that you have to master so you can make sure that you're being effective in communicating what your company is all about. I want you to join me as we join Gary Ellix as he discusses some of the fundamentals of building your brand promise and make sure you're on track with building the brand that you want. Today's topic is the brand promise. And a lot of people are confused about what brand promise means or you know, what exactly does that describe. So part of what we're going to do in this discussion today is to talk about what is a brand promise, how you would apply it to your particular business uh, if, in fact, you haven't developed your brand promise, and then the need to execute the brand promise. So it's one thing to say, uh, hey, we've got 24-hour service. 365 days a year, and then it's a whole other thing to actually be able to deliver on that brand promise. <clears throat> so with that in mind, let's take a look at a couple of characteristics for what makes for a, a good brand promise structurally, so that you understand as you develop yours for your company, there are some general rules or guidelines that we would use to make sure that a brand promise would fit, so that as you apply that to your marketing and your principles of being able to go to the external media campaigns uh, to be able to attract consumers, the brand promise is the driving feature, what we used to call the unique selling proposition back in the 80s, we now call the brand promise in the 2000s. So let's have a little discussion about that. First off, the company needs a brand promise. You have to have the brand promise out front and center. Now, each company has its own unique brand promise and that's fine. Uh, so the next question becomes, you know, how do I define what is a brand promise? What is that? So, we used to talk about the unique selling proposition or what people will call USP. That is what makes you unique in the marketplace compared to all other choices in the market. So that is up to you to decide what that is. It's part art, part science. Uh, you'd like to make sure your brand promise is something that a customer would need and like, but at the end of the day, uh, it's also something that needs to be unique to you. Uh, you don't want to be a me too company. So the next discussion is we want to be credible and we want to be compelling. And the most important part of that discussion is while we want to be credible and compelling, we need the promise to be kept and we need it to be kept every single time. So the idea that employee training, the ability to create execution, uh, whatever you decide you promise, you need to be able to deliver on that execution or you will find that customers will not be happy with you. And because of that, you're going to lose traction around your brand. Uh, that's probably going to affect your long-term value and wealth of the company, but it's also going to affect the customer referral process. Lastly, um, you really want to have that ideally be measurable. And when I say measurable, um, a good example of a brand promise is in one of the businesses that uh, I own and, and work with. Um, we have a brand promise to deliver the lowest cost per lead in the industry. So that is a measurable item. We can measure our cost per lead for our client. We can measure the cost per lead uh, individually against a group of clients. We can measure that against competition. So either we have the ability to deliver the lowest cost per lead or we do not. So it becomes a brand promise. Hey, we're going to give you the lowest cost per lead 
of any business in this space or vertical. And so the question becomes, now how do we measure that? Well, we use dashboard metrics, call tracking, and we manage that process as detailed as we can. So the purpose of the measurability is to say, yeah, we have kept our promise. So we're setting an expectation for a client, and the deliverable has to be that each and every time we're working to deliver on that brand promise. So let's go to the next slide. And I'm going to give you some examples of some brand promises that are in the industry and a couple that are not in the industry. The first one is on-time service or it's free. So the brand promise there is I'm going to tell you a specific time or a time frame that I'm going to be there. And if I'm not on time, it's free. The second one there is uh, one we've seen in the industry for many years, two years, money back, uh, no questions asked, guarantee. Uh, so the idea would be take it for a test drive. Uh, whatever happens in the next two years, if you're not satisfied, if we can't completely fix it to your satisfaction, uh, we'll give you your money back. That's a brand promise. And certainly, if you make that brand promise, you're going to want to make sure that you can deliver on that. So that becomes a costing and a pricing and a reserve issue. But still, it's a compelling brand promise because from an advertising and marketing point of view, you really have something that most people won't step up to the plate to deliver. Uh, another one, which we've seen in the industry for quite some time, lifetime guarantee on service repairs. Um, I do that. Some of my friends that we've had relationships with in the consulting practice, uh, we've convinced to do that. Um, none of us have gone out of business. And the reason is, is that you have to stay in the club. You notice that there's a parenthesis there and it says lifetime guarantee on service repairs you know, if you're in the club. So that means you have to maintain a service agreement to be a part of that guarantee. So it's not on a service repair that is a non-club member because there was no way that we could guarantee that if we weren't doing regularly scheduled maintenance. And we didn't have the opportunity to identify problems with contactors, capacitors, fan motors, that we would change ahead of the failure at no charge to a client in order to avoid a crisis failure later down the road. Much less expensive to do that. Again, it's just a costing issue. And that's something that we've talked about in the pricing side of the EGI Contract University website. So you can study that whole discipline. But the real issue is, you know, do customers care about that? And as, is that a good brand promise for marketing? And it, and it turns out that it is. Um, the next discussion, uh, lifetime, no overtime. So if you're a club member or you, you know, want to advertise no overtime, certainly uh, that's a brand promise. Then some non-industry brand promises. You'll remember Domino's of the 1980s and 1990s, 30 minutes or it's free. So they would deliver in 30 minutes or it's free. Now, the interesting part about the Domino's discussion on the brand promise is the Domino's folks knew that the average delivery time for themselves and the industry was 27 minutes. So they were creating a brand promise for marketing purposes. And they knew that 30 minutes was a deliverable that they could hit. And it was measurable, of course, because obviously with GPS and you know, sort of time in and time out on the order in and the delivery, it's not that difficult to measure. Um, and the other part about that is whether you like Domino's today or not, sort of in the historical sense when they had that as their promise, their product really wasn't necessarily the greatest pizza on the planet. And that's not by my standard. That's by you know, consumers that have you know, sort of rated the product over the years. So here's a company that built itself up with less than stellar product, uh, used a great marketing platform, the 30 minutes or less, they seized the opportunity knowing that it wasn't really a difficult brand promise to hit, and it is measurable. So it's an interesting example of a historical context of where a brand promise was applied correctly on the marketing sense. And Domino's, by all accounts, was an excellent marketing company in their day, and I think they probably still are, although they've gone through some transition. Uh, number six there, uh, Jimmy John's, uh, which was one of my favorite subs, 
you know, freaky fast delivery. Uh, what does that mean, freaky fast? Well, it's a little bit up to you to decide what freaky means. Freaky fast for me means probably less than 30 minutes because Domino's conditioned me. And I'm an old guy, but if I'm a younger person or maybe somebody that's in the millennial generation, freaky fast might be 15 or 20 minutes. And so expectations for speed have changed a little bit with you know, the younger folks. So freaky fast doesn't say a particular time frame, but it does designate that it's freaky fast, meaning that it's fast. So the adjective there clarifies for me that, hey, that's pretty fast. Freaky is fast. So Jimmy John's has done a nice job of marketing that. And I think most people who know Jimmy John's know that their slogan, their unique selling proposition, their brand promise is, hey, we're freaky fast. If you look at number seven, um, one of the best marketing platforms out there, I don't use them in my insurance business because their prices tend to be higher than everybody that I call. But if you use Geico Insurance in 15 minutes, or less, you can save 15% on your car insurance. And they are out in a broad-based media campaign and have multiple commercials. They have some of the best, funniest commercials, in my opinion, on TV today. And so there's multiple layers of their brand promise out there. And so whether or not they actually deliver on that, for me personally, each time that I shop my insurance, they have not been anywhere close to delivering that. But Warren Buffett is a pretty smart guy, and their company makes money, and it's a very profitable business, and they've used that as a good example. Number seven, the BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Another great example of a company that's been around for a long time, that's been their brand promise. And honestly, BMW builds you know, a pretty engineered machine. Um, they're well known and it's been well documented that their engineers pretty much over-engineer everything. And whether or not you've had a good experience or a bad experience with a BMW, the one thing that you'll say about a BMW is that they drive and they drive well. And so if you get behind a BMW and you ride it, the steering is tight. The ergonomics are tight. I mean, there's just a lot of things in the engineering of the car that they're building is not about fuel efficiency in these cases. It's about, is this the ultimate driving machine? Now, they're starting to move over to some technologies with the combined engines and so forth, where they've got the electrical and the gas engine combined uh, and so forth in the I-8 and some of the other things that they're doing that are leading them into some new ideas. But the ultimate driving machine is something that most people recognize. If you said, what's the BMW slogan, most people would know that. So it's a combination of having a brand promise that you can deliver, but also they've done a nice job of marketing over the years and staying true to that brand promise. So not only do we want to create a brand promise, but we don't want to get bored with our marketing and switch our brand promises around because the cumulative effect of advertising over time externally is it builds up impressions and those impressions are they're psychological. And the more and more I understand that, the more and more you realize that you, you really, about the time people are getting bored with your marketing is the time that you probably figure out that you're actually having an impact relative to your brand promise. Now, once you understand kind of your core values and your brand promise, it's really important that we make sure that everybody actually experiences that as we go out and interact with the community. This gets down to our basic culture of our company. Are we executing on the core values and the brand promise? So I'm going to take you over to the whiteboard. I put a couple of core values up today. Um, these are example core values. They're not necessarily correct, right or wrong, or any of those types of ideas. And so we just take a look at the whiteboard here. If we look at the development of culture and we say integrity is an important core value of any business, um, it would be hard to argue that, although we've talked about it in a previous video. We, we certainly did have some discussion about what does integrity mean. There's also the principle of peak performance. Uh, 
Uh, peak performance can mean different things to different people, uh, but clearly from your business point of view in this discussion, we're going to define peak performance as exceeding the expectation, which means we have an expectation. We have a defined KPI. Easiest one to use is uh, average tickets, you know, say 350 or more for a service call on HVAC, 850 or more on the plumbing side, uh, offering service agreements 100% of the time to those customers that don't have a service agreement. These are examples of setting expectations based on metrics, so we want to perform at least to the standard or better. Accountability, we just talked about the idea of actually doing it. How do we measure that? How do we implement accountability? How do we systematically get that in place? And then this is one that we have in our business, which is be the expert. The customer is paying us to be the expert. So we need training, support, both technical, customer service driven, brand oriented, to make sure that all of our people are in fact able to answer the questions in a way that's understandable and mutually win-win or beneficial to the client. So we have to be the expert in that situation or we're not going to be perceived as a company that maybe gets a referral or what we would say is the brand of choice in our marketplace. And then the last one on the list here is customer experience. We want the customer to feel good emotionally about the relationship that they had with our brand, with obviously our employee, with the work that we did today, uh, so that over time we maintain that relationship. Um, there's an old statistic that comes out of the Harvard Business Review that says that a customer will spend 67% more money with a relationship that they're satisfied with as a provider. So think in terms of your doctors, your dentists, your grocery stores, I mean, when customer service is at an exceptional level and you feel good about it emotionally, you tend to turn loose of your cash flow, um, of your personal side, more readily. And so they documented that over the years to represent 67%. So the more we can develop the customer experience, the odds are that the more likely we are to sell an accessory, whether that's an upgraded thermostat or an upgraded, upgraded faucet. It doesn't matter what it is. It just matters that the customer was involved in the purchase. They were emotionally satisfied with what was going on. And so these are some of the core values that we're going to talk about. So these are just adjectives until we actually implement them. In other words, if I have these ideas in place, but I don't have the deliverable at the technician install and customer service level, call center, call taking, call making, if those things are not in place, this discussion is, well, how do we take that next step? How do we drive a culture we want to look like this that isn't this and put that in place. And so that's really what we need to talk about. That's not an easy thing to do, uh, but it's a worthwhile thing to do because it shapes the overall planning process that you take as a business owner on how you might want to approach that. So let's just talk through some ideas. Okay? Um, I'm going to take you back to, I guess it's probably the fourth grade. Um, obviously, if you know me, you know I have uh, children. And so uh, we used to do the math homework when they were young. And so there's this concept of a Venn diagram. Uh, so there's a circle over here. And so that's the belief system of the employee. And that's who they are. That's how they were environmentally raised, where they came from, what experiences they've had, and whether or not they're capable of doing the work the way you need it to be done as a business. Then on the other Venn diagram over here, we got another circle. And um, that's the, the company's value just what we talked about on the whiteboard. Uh, again, no right or wrong in terms of values, no right or wrong on behaviors, only the definition of what you want your business to become. 
So the more clarity that you have in the behavior patterns for your employees, the easier it will be to train around those principles. Um, the trick, of course, is, is that's hard work to define that. Uh, so we talked originally about having some collaborative approach. So we have these two Venn diagrams, uh, the subsets. And so what we want to do is we want to combine the Venn diagram. And so there is a center mass that's the subset that says that all the best characteristics of the values that the employees can bring, all the best characteristics that the company has in terms of its training meets in the center. And we have a, a center subset. And that's really where we're going. And that is what we're going to call the company belief system. So it's not acceptable for any one individual over here to have a belief system that's different than the company's belief system. And it's not acceptable for the company to ask an employee to do something that is not necessarily up to standard. Uh, so we don't want to be going to bed at night and putting our head on the pillow and thinking that we're allowing people to do things that are unethical or concerning in the marketplace. So the center mass or that subset is the company's belief system. And so as we define what that is, our goal then is to implement that, train around it, and, and, and basically put a, a development sequence in place that says that even though you might not be capable of selling a service agreement as a technician, you might not be comfortable communicating, you might not be comfortable talking about it. Um, EGIA has tremendous materials. There's a numerous amount of materials on the sales side uh, that, uh, that Wally Weldon Long has created. And so at the end of the day, you're going to use those to train people on how to do a better job of communicating. But the idea that they need to actually do it is a step, and that's part of the process of defining a culture and defining how we're going to take that step from we're not doing it to we are doing it, even though if it's not perfect, and then ultimately we would like that to become something that's a strength, not a weakness. Now, another thing to consider when it comes to the core values of the brand promise is that it starts at the top. It starts with you, the owner, and the managers of the company. You've got to set the pace. You've got to lead from the trenches because how you treat your customers and the, you know, kind of the standard that you set, that's what other people are going to do. I want to share with you a quick video that outlines a story that I believe illustrates what it takes to lead from the trenches. One of the biggest challenges facing contractors is a lack of leadership. That's the bad news. The good news is it's a really easy fix to become an effective, strong leader in your company. When I first started my company, our after-hour service department was my cell phone because I wanted to make sure if any calls came in, no matter what time of the day or night, that that call would come to me, then I could dispatch the proper technician. Well, one night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm dead asleep and the phone rings. I answer it and it's a customer that we had just put a, a furnace in for that very day. It was freezing cold outside and it was freezing cold inside the customer's house. So I told the homeowner, someone will be at your house to fix it within one hour. So right away I start calling my service technician. 15 minutes go by, I can't get anybody. I call again, no answer. Finally, after about 20 or 30 minutes, I decide I've got to get over there. Now keep in mind, I couldn't fix a furnace to save my life. I know nothing about the technical part of our business, which is sad, but it's also very true. So I get in my car, I drive over to the customer's house, I get there about four o'clock in the morning. All the while, of course, I'm calling my service technicians. I get to the house, I knock on the door, I go in, I go down to the crawl space, and because I don't know what I'm doing, I open the front of the furnace and I just start knocking around with a wrench to make it sound like I'm doing something so at least my customer feels like they're being taken care of. After about another half hour, I finally get a hold of one of my service technicians that come out to the house and of course they fix it right away. But the lesson that everyone learned in our company 
is that customer service, making the customer feel appreciated, making sure they feel that they are being served is paramount. It's number one in our company. And from that day forward, we never had a problem with my people focusing on customer service because they knew if it was important enough for me to drive over to a homeowner's home at three o'clock in the morning, then it was an important value. It was important to everyone in the company. So what I want you to do is go out today and get involved in an install or a service call or a sales call. Get involved and teach your people how important these things are. Do something that you want them to do. So if you want your people to be awesome, you gotta be awesome first. Get out there and lead by example. Boom. <laughs> I don't have a mic. Now, in case you're not aware, I want you to know about a new podcast we've recently launched called Unfiltered. And I want to share with you a brief clip where Drew Cameron talks about some really personal stuff, a health scare he had that really changed his mission and focus in life. I uh, was on vacation, woke up one morning on vacation in Myrtle Beach the day after we got down to Myrtle Beach and uh, wasn't feeling good and um, I'd lost my older brother nine months ago, uh, as you know, to a heart issue, heart arrhythmia, which was more of a genetic thing, an electrical thing going on with his heart. Lost my younger brother at 38, which was 13, just over 13 Crazy. years ago. Uh, his was a heart attack due to blockage. And so uh, I, I wake up and um, not feeling real good. and. Um, a younger, stupider me would have, uh, when asked if I, I should go to the hospital, would have said no, but uh, I was with my girlfriend and I was restless enough in, in bed that I woke her up and she, she asked me if I felt okay and I said no and she says, you want to go get checked out? And I said, yeah, let, let's, let's go get checked out. She says, that way we rule out anything, we can enjoy the rest of our vacation, it's the first day of our vacation, let's, let's rule out anything. And I said, yeah, let's go. Um, woke up, went to brush my teeth, went back to Look at the look out the window because uh, people were just kind of getting on the beach, and we had a great view from the 27th floor of the hotel. And uh, boom, down I went. And uh, crazy, yeah. That's the la that's the last thing I remember. Of course, I, I know the whole story because it's been retold to me by by Kim. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I suffered a heart attack, uh, ventricular fibrillation, fibrillation. So that three times fast. After some Canadian whiskey. Have a little more <laughs> Canadian whiskey, Drew. That you won't care whether or not you can say that. Filibulation. Filibulation. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Once you say it, you can't. Filibulation. Once, once you suffer, you can't say it, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. Hey, we're laughing now. We could be crying. I had 100% blockage and 98% uh, blockage in another artery. And, and they had to hit you with the paddles and the whole thing in the ambulance, right? I went into you were gone, sudden cardiac arrest at that point. You were that. gone. You were, you, were you were technically gone, right? I was gone. Yeah. You had transcended this world to the next. Twice in a, twice in the hotel room, twice in the... Uh, oh, they hit you with the paddle in the hotel room too? Twice. And then twice in the... Twice in the ambulance. Probably some adrenaline. And uh, once in the ER. Yeah. Because uh, they lost me three times. Holy cow. So now here's the interesting thing. 95% of the people who suffer a heart attack will survive. 95% of the people who suffer a heart attack with sudden cardiac arrest die. So I'm in the five percentile of people who survived what I went through. Um, very fortunate, I got two stints, um, cleared out the blockage, heart's in great shape now, so I, I came back stronger than ever, I feel great, um, I lost some weight, I'm focused on diet and exercise, thank you. So uh, yeah, it's been an interesting few weeks as you said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been an interesting year for you, you've been through a lot and he's still with us. Glad he is. Yeah. I'm the last Cameron in the industry. There were six of us in, and I'm the last one still here. 
Wow. And uh, you better get your son in the business or something. Yeah, you and Kim better get busy. <laughs> so we are, uh, so the mission takes on new meaning. The mission of, yeah. of why I do what I do takes on new meaning. It was not just to, to live a legacy of myself and my brothers and my family, um, but it's now to, to leave that legacy as well. But, you know, I, I see the, the hard lives that contractors live and the, and the struggle that they, a lot of them go through, just not only business-wise, but health and relationship and fitness and nutrition. And um, We always talk about that, right? Guys get in the business for time and money freedom. They have neither time nor money nor freedom. Well, folks, that's today's show. I want to encourage you to really get serious about understanding your core beliefs, your core values, and, of course, your brand promise, how you're communicating that brand promise, and are you making sure that your customers are experiencing the promise that you're making. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next week here on Cracking the Code. Until then, bye-bye for now.